0: Well, good morning, Mercy Church. My name is Charlie King. I'm the worship director here. Uh, listen, today we're going to be in Luke chapter 10. So if you would, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke 10. And listen, as you, as you do that, um, if you know me at all, then, then you probably know that I'm from West Charlotte. Um, and not only am I from West Charlotte, but West Charlotte is in my blood and so here's here's what I mean. Three of my grandparents graduated from Westmeck High School. Um, my my dad and his sister graduated from Westmeck High School. My mom and my sister went to Harding, which is the rival high school. Um, and my wife and I went to Westmec. So three generations three generations of of Westmeck graduates. Uh, I grew up. I mean, my whole life played. Baseball and basketball for West Mac Optimist. I mean, it is, when I say it's in my blood, it is in my blood, okay? And, and here's, here's the thing. I love West Charlotte. So if you, if you wanna get me to cry, one of the quickest ways to do that is to talk about how you love West Charlotte. If you're trying to get me ready to throw hands, you know what I'm saying? One of the best ways is to talk down about West Charlotte. All right, so look out. Um, now, now the problem the problem that I've, I've started to, to realize and experience is that I, I kind of had a conflicted upbringing in, in West Charlotte because, see, I, so I grew up in privilege, and, and I grew up in privilege in an area that, for the most part, was unprivileged, and I really assumed growing up that my life experience was, it was the same as, as the people around me, and that's just, it just wasn't true, and, and, and in ignorance, really, in ignorance, I, I lacked compassion. I lacked compassion because I didn't understand what my neighbors were going through. And y'all especially, I'm especially talking about my neighbors, my classmates of color. I never experienced and will never experience exactly what they did. And like I said, I really, I think because of that, I really lacked compassion. See, I thought... I thought that I was a friend when really I was just a fan. I thought that living in proximity made me close. But the truth is that you cannot truly be close without compassion. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to talk about compassion today. Listen, it is only by God's amazing grace... That he has done this work in me that he's been doing, and he has been doing an amazing work in the last year and a half. He started to open my eyes to things that I didn't even know I needed. He started to, to wound me and burden me over the state of my neighbors and reveal the sin of using blessing really to serve primarily myself. And what I think it is, in a new way, he's been drawing me into the hands of the gospel. By that, I mean like, the beauty and the joy of doing, actually doing his work. Y'all, I don't want to settle. I just don't want to settle anymore for only the head and the heart of the gospel. It has to move through my hands. It has to. And today, I want you to know, a complete Christian life moves the head, the heart, and the hands. It moves the head, the heart, and the hands. And here's, here's what I mean. The, the complete Christian life, it is knowing God, it is loving God, and it is displaying that love. And today, Jesus is going to show us the hands. In this The Way of Jesus series that we're in, we've been seeing what lies at the heart of Christ and what it looks like to walk in the Christian life. And today, Jesus is going to show us the action, the action that comes along with following after him. And he's gonna do it through one of his most famous parables, the Good Samaritan. And listen, here's what we're gonna see in this parable. Y'all, this, this parable is so rich in content. Yeah, like, I, I feel like we could spend weeks and weeks on it. But today, we're gonna to focus on one aspect of it, and it's that compassion is a verb. That's, that's what I'm gonna call this sermon, compassion is a verb. And yes, I know, like English majors, y'all don't have to email me I know that the dictionary says compassion is a noun. Like, I I get that. But what I'm arguing today is that the biblical view of compassion is actually that compassion is active. It is an action. I'm arguing that the the affections of the heart are not completed until they've come through the work of the hands. And so here's here's how we're going to move through today. Uh, I'm just going to read you the full passage, top to bottom, okay, so you know where we're at. Then I'm going to show you what active compassion looks like, and ultimately how Jesus is its perfect embodiment. And then briefly, we're just going to talk about what we do in response to that. Okay. Before I read you this passage, though, I, I want us—I want to call us as a church to begin just by resting in the work of Christ for us. Listen, I this passage this passage we have used for so long to uh, to really. Uh, help us develop how, to, how to, to care for the oppressed, and, and that's, not, that's not wrong. Like, listen, that's not a wrong reading of, of the passage. It's really not. But I think that Jesus's point was actually to help a lawyer understand what true compassion is. The purpose of this passage is not necessarily to show you what the Good Samaritan does. It is to show you who the Good Samaritan is, so, so to, to the Christians in the room, those of you who are walking with Jesus, look, I wanna beg you, please, don't, don't let today turn into a task list. Don't let it turn into more things to add to your plate for you to judge whether or not you are living a successful and good Christian life. Instead, let Jesus just show you who he is. Let him show you his compassion today. To the non-Christians in the room, First, I wanna say, we are so glad that you're here. We are glad that you're with us. And I wanna call you to the same thing that Jesus was calling the lawyer into, which is just to see who he is, to see the good Samaritan at work, to, to have your eyes opened up to Christ's great love for you. So, all right, we're gonna get going. If you would look with me, Luke 10, we're gonna start in verse 25. Now listen, this is, uh, this is a conversation between two people. It's a conversation between Jesus and an expert in the law, and that's ultimately what turns into a parable. So, an expert in the law stood up to test him, that is Jesus, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds, well, what's, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, yeah, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, "And who is my neighbor?" That's the that's the question that the good Samaritan is born out of. So Jesus tells him a parable. He took up the question and said, "A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead." And a priest happened to be going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, on his journey, came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He had compassion, and so he acts. He went over to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, And took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for whatever extra you spend. And then Jesus asked the lawyer, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert answers, The one who showed mercy to him. And Jesus told him, Go and do the same. Go and do the same. Y'all, compassion. Is a verb. This is one of my favorite things about Jesus. Listen, that compassion is so tightly knit to his heart. I just, I love that about our Savior. And the thing is, compassion runs so deep in Jesus' veins for you that he can't help but show it. God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The compassion of Jesus is always met with action, always. So the question is, what does active compassion look like? So I'm I'm gonna gonna focus on three things. And the first one is this. Compassion is more than knowledge. If compassion is a verb, then compassion is more than knowledge. Now, it'd be a whole lot easier if compassion was just the process of understanding something, if it were just me understanding that my roommate is going through a really hard season of life, if it were just uh, me understanding that That this person in my community group is really struggling right now, or a high school student, if if it's just me knowing that my friend is holding on to this painful, destructive secret. But it's not, y'all. Compassion is not just knowledge. It is so much more. Look with me again, uh, verse 26. So this is that conversation between the lawyer and Jesus before the parable. Jesus asked what's written in the law. How do you read it? And the expert says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly. So he got the answer right. And actually, he, he nailed it, really. Like if you look back at Mark chapter 12, there's, uh, there's someone who comes up to Jesus and asks a question that's really similar. Uh, someone says, hey, teacher, what's the most important command? And Jesus responds with pretty much this exact answer. He says, Okay, well, the most important command is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And so when this expert is, is giving this answer, he's actually giving the very words of Jesus back to him. And I don't know if this resonates with y'all. He knew the word. And knowledge was not the issue here. Obedience was. So that's why Jesus says, verse 28, okay, do this. Do this, and you will live. See, Jesus doesn't leave knowledge alone as an option. Do this and you will live. Jesus doesn't just congratulate him on a perfect score. Listen, the purpose of God's command is not just to be known, but to be obeyed. And so he tells him to take his commands and do them. Compassion is more than knowledge, it is a verb. Listen, speaking of compassion, y'all, I, can't, I honestly just can't hate on this lawyer too much because I see so much of us in him. Uh, I don't know how many times you've walked away from church on a Sunday morning with all the knowledge necessary to obey the Lord, and yet you find yourself strategizing ways out of obedience. I don't know how many times you've settled for progress in the Christian life just to merely be an increase in head knowledge while your hands stay nice and clean. But I think, I think this is good news, that there is more for us. The Lord has more for us today. See, Jesus tells us in John chapter 15 that it is for our joy to obey him. And I think he actually means it when he says that. Like, I, I really believe that when he says it is for our joy to obey him, that he means it. And today he is showing us the hands. There, there's joy waiting for us as we act out the love of God. All right, what else, what else does active compassion look like? What does that mean? Well, it means compassion destroys division. Y'all, I love, I love what's happening here in this parable. There are deep social and religious dynamics at play here. And Jesus reveals through this that true compassion is stronger than any force of division, There is no human distinction that should keep us from acting out the love of the gospel. And y'all, for a West Charlotte boy who is just waking up to the boundaries that need to be broken in our city, this is like a breath of fresh air for me. Look with me at the beginning of the parable. I'm going to take you back. This is verse 30. The beginning of the parable itself. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which means he was almost certainly a Jew, and he fell into the hands of robbers. And they stripped him, they beat him up, and they fled, leaving him half dead. And a priest happened to be going down that road. Now, a a priest is like the highest of the religious elite in the Jewish community. I don't know if you're familiar with, with the Old Testament, but if you know Moses and Aaron, the priests are direct descendants of Aaron himself. So, big deal. But when the priest came, he sees a man beaten and left for dead and And he passes by him on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite, which is just another Jewish religious elite, he sees the same man and he passes by on the other side. But a Samaritan, a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. Now, to understand what's happening here, we have to to understand a little bit about Samaritans and Jews. Listen, Samaritans and Jews, they lived in hatred of each other. And it was a hate that ran centuries deep. And it was a divide over both ethnicity and religion. John 4 actually puts it really simply. I don't, I don't know if you know the woman at the well, but she was a Samaritan. And, and John 4 puts it really simply. Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And so what Jesus has done, he has set up a scene that is wrought with racial and religious tension, and he's doing it to show us that the compassion of the Samaritan destroys both. Right. Destroys both. So let's start with racial. Y'all, compassion destroys racial divisions. I don't know if you knew this, but we live in a racially divided city. And I'm going to spend a few minutes here because I think, this is, I think this is a blind spot for us. See, when Jesus told this parable, he did so in a context That knew it was racially divided. They were wide open about it. Again, John 4, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. But we live in a different culture. That is not us. We live in a culture that claims to hate racial division. So the divide is still there, but it's it's a lot more subtle. And the reason this is really important for us is because when Jesus told this parable about a Samaritan showing compassion to a Jew that even Jews were not showing themselves, the point was loud and clear that compassion was destroying the boundary of race. And what we need to see right now is that our culture is more similar to theirs than we would like to believe because we also need to see that we are in just as deep of a need of the true good Samaritan, Listen, just because our water fountains don't say white and colored anymore doesn't mean that we are not in the racial divide. It's just taking on another form. And so I wanna wanna show you our current reality right now in Charlotte, just so we can understand this. 25% of the geographic area of our city owns 75% of the city's wealth. And that area is predominantly white. It's, It's South Charlotte. It's called the Crescent and the Wedge. In Charlotte right now, 36% of all Hispanic children live in poverty. 36% of all Hispanic children live in poverty. And only 5% of white children do. According to a January article in the Observer, black babies in Charlotte are five times more likely to die before the age of one than white babies. And the national gap is closer to two to one, not five to one. And I'll just, I'll get... Personal here again, like I said, y'all. I've contributed to this divide. When I when I went to Westmac High School, my my high school was only 11% white, but my friend group was about 95% white. Our school cafeteria really displayed what was true about our city—that we are a city divided. This is not right. This is not okay, y'all. God did not create separate classes of human. We did. And though slavery and Jim Crow America are dead and gone, we have to recognize that slavery and Jim Crow were never the real enemy. Sin in the human heart has always been the enemy, and it has long expressed itself through injustice and oppression and sin is still alive and well today, which means that injustice and oppression are still alive and well. And y'all, we've had conversation about this before. I don't know if you were here in July 2016, but our, our pastor, Pastor Spence, he led us through this conversation really beautifully with Pastor Derek Delane from Durham. You can, you can look up the conversation online if you want. And listen, I, wanna, I just wanna talk to, to my white brothers and sisters for a second. Like I told y'all, I've been a contributor to this divide and I've been blind to it. But God has been so gracious to begin to open my eyes and to convict me of my sin. And he's been doing it primarily through passages like the one that we're in today and through conversation with friends of color. And here's what I'm wrestling with right now. The most difficult conversations I have about racial injustice are with other white people. And I don't really know what to do with that, y'all. Like, why, why are we so defensive when this comes up? I mean, if, if, a friend, if a friend came to you, if any friend came to you to tell you about something that you've done to wrong them or hurt them that you weren't aware of, you would almost certainly meet them with patience, you would listen patiently, and you would seek reconciliation. And that's... That's exactly what our sisters and our brothers of color are doing right now. And, and for some reason, we're meeting them with our guards up. We're meeting them on the defensive. And I, what if we're wrong? Y'all, this is, this is a gospel issue. The issue of racial injustice and oppression at its core is a force of darkness in direct conflict with the way God created all of humanity in his image. Church fighting to be the hands of Christ in this sphere is fighting for the glory of the Lord. And God will get the glory he deserves, and I think he will get it through his church. And I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to brothers and sisters of color. Those... uh, those of you who have called mercy home, who have, who have stepped in with us, I want to say thank you for your patience and your grace. Listen, most of, us, most of us are just not going to experience what you experience. Most of us are not going to experience walking in a room that doesn't look anything like us, being led by a bunch of people that don't look anything like us, myself included. And you've done, you've done it with such patience and grace for us. And I just, we, we want to say thank you as deeply as we can feel it. We are so grateful for you and we need your presence. Listen, I I want you to know that we are not okay with being a singularly white church. We believe that the gospel actually calls for more. We want to experience the joy of sharing in God's mission with more sisters and brothers of color. And we will continue to fight for that. May God be glorified by a family of believers so diverse that it makes no earthly sense to a divided city. He will get his glory. Listen, compassion doesn't just destroy racial division; it destroys religious division too. Jews and Gentiles—that's an important, uh, important dynamic we see in this parable. So, no boundary can contain true compassion—not race, not religion. And I want you to imagine right now the weight of Christ sharing a parable that makes a hero out of the only person in the story who is not one of God's people. Every other character in the story is a Jew, except for the hero, who's a Samaritan. Even the man laying half dead on the side of the road in need is a Jew. Listen, God's heart is and always has been for all people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, and one day every nation, every tribe, every tongue will be present in front of his throne, singing his praises. He wants all people. He loves all people. Listen, what else does active compassion look like? It looks like requiring sacrifice. Compassion requires sacrifice. So if you didn't notice On our first time reading through the passage, the way the Samaritan served was crazy inconvenient. Y'all, it cost him time, strength, money, and then ongoing mental capacity. Look with me at verse 34. So this is what he actually did. This is what the Samaritan did. He went over to the man and bandaged his wounds so he's physically caring for him, pouring on olive oil and wine. I I guess that's necessary. I don't don't know. (laughs) Then he put him on his own animal, his own animal, which means he is walking, and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Y'all, sacrifice is inconvenient. And the truth is, I th- we want convenience. Y'all, I think, I think most of us are, are willing to sacrifice and to do it with joy when, when it's two to three weeks ahead and we have it on our calendar already. Um, I, th- I, think we, I think we actually do love sacrificing when it's a weekly rhythm and we know it, it goes from this time to this time and we can prepare for it. Where I think sacrifice becomes most difficult for us is when it's unexpected and inconvenient, which is exactly what the Good Samaritan was, was experiencing. But maybe, maybe our convenience itself is what needs to be sacrificed. And listen, I, I, I wanna tell you, I think that inconvenience is actually God's grace on us. I think this is a way that he is really good to us that we just we don't realize. Here's the thing, there's a there's a teaching uh, that Jesus gives on money just a couple chapters ahead in Luke uh, Luke chapter 12. And I think it's true about our time too. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Meaning not only does where you put your resources display what you love, but where you put your resources actually affects, affects what you love. And the inconvenience, I'm, I'm going to get real with y'all, the inconvenience of my neighbor coming to talk to me about something that I just don't really care all that much about while I'm trying to put my son down to bed, uh, the inconvenience of knowing that I need to share the gospel with this person, but it's probably going to make me late to the next thing, the inconvenience of, uh, of my commu- someone in my community group needing a meal and driving across town in, in five o'clock traffic to take it to them. Those inconveniences, that is actually God's grace on me to change my heart by shaking up what I treasure, which is convenience. Look with me at verse 35. The next day, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for, for whatever extra you spend. Here's what we see here sacrifice is also long suffering. He says, The next day. I don't know if you call that the next day. And when I come back. Not only did the Samaritan stay with this man all the way into the next day, but he gave the innkeeper money for days to come and said he would give him more when he comes back. Y'all, he has he shown the man that he's with him to stay, and he's already resolved in his mind as he leaves. That he's coming back, and this this reminds me of a couple people in our church. It reminds me of a lot of people in our church, really. But a couple a couple come to mind right now. Uh, one is is Nick Colley. Um, I don't. I think a lot of y'all probably know Nick, um, but he he's a good friend of mine. And and what Nick will do, <clears throat> he'll ask you how you're doing one day. And then he will meet a physical need according to what you say. And then months later, he's still praying for you and checking in with you. Like that is, that's just long suffering. That's the love of a neighbor. Uh, it reminds me of Modena Henderson, uh, which is another member here at Mercy. And Modena, <clears throat> excuse me, Modena, a couple, a couple years ago, the Lord called her to go to Cuba for a short-term mission trip. And, and so she goes to Cuba, falls in love with the Cuban people, I get it, I've been there, I fell in love with them too. And, and she, comes, she comes back home and decides that she wants to learn how to speak Spanish so that she can love and serve the Spanish-speaking population here in Charlotte. And that's what she's been doing for the last couple years. Listen, listen compassion is a verb. Compassion is active. And that means that it requires more than knowledge. It means it destroys divisions. It means it requires sacrifice. But our compassion is not born out of our own strength. It is born out of the love that we have received from Christ Jesus. And Jesus is the embodiment of compassion. Y'all, there are a lot of beautiful aspects uh, about compassion that we got to look at today. And Christ is certainly the perfect embodiment of each one. Okay, more than knowledge. How about this? Jesus knew us he loved us and he came for us. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Jeremiah says that he knew you before you were formed in your mother's womb. Ephesians tells us that he knew his people before the foundation of the world. Knowledge was never an issue for Christ. But in his knowledge of us, John 3 says that he so loved us that he came for us the head, the heart, the hands. He destroyed division. Jesus left heaven for us. John 6 says that Jesus came down from heaven. Philippians 2 says that though he existed in the form of God, he did not count equality with God as something to be exploited, but he emptied himself and came to us as a man. There has never been a greater boundary broken in the name of love than the boundary of heaven itself. What about sacrifice? Jesus paid for our sins. Church, can the people of God just take a second to celebrate like a people who have been set free? Y'all, can we celebrate and thank the Lord today? Listen, if you're new, if you're new to this church thing, I have some good news for you. And it's called the gospel, okay? It's in the book of Romans. says that every single one of us Was dead in our sins. The way Pastor Charlie Dates puts it, he says that all of us have enjoyed our sin, but at the end of the day, sin left us with a receipt, and we couldn't afford to pay it. But here's the good news I know someone who can, and his name is Christ Jesus. Jesus came for us, he took on the payment of our sin. He took the cross and the death that I deserve, that you deserved, and he rose from the dead, and he tore up that receipt, and he's telling us that we will never receive another one in our lives. He has done everything necessary for us to live in communion with him, and now he calls us to live in relationship with him and do his work here on earth. So that brings us to the question, what do we do? What do we do? Well, I think Jesus actually gives us our next steps in, in this passage, which I love. So let's look at the end of the passage, verse, verse 36. Jesus, Jesus asks the man, uh, which of these three, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law answers, the one who showed him mercy. I think that's our first step to recognize the mercy of Christ. Listen, I, I just told you all about what he has done for us. I told you about his compassion. But I think we need to stop and meditate, recognize what Christ has done for us. Listen, Jesus is the good Samaritan. The goal, that's the goal of this parable. Jesus makes the Samaritan the hero of the story. And just kind of like a Bible reading cheat code for you, anytime Jesus tells a parable and creates a hero, it's, it's him, like it's pointing to him. And... He is the perfect embodiment of compassion. Listen, the the purpose of this teaching is not for us to figure out which character we are. Jesus didn't ask the lawyer which character he identifies with. He asked the lawyer which character proved to be a neighbor. And the answer was the Samaritan, the one who represented Christ himself. Listen, if we're anybody, if we're anybody in in this passage, we are the person who is lying half dead on the side of the road in need. Jesus is the one who came for us. Listen, you, this is good news. You were never meant to be the hero of this story. Jesus was. And all you need to do today is look at him and receive what he's done for you. Just recognize the mercy of Christ. I think we get our next step from, from Jesus too. This is, how, this is how the passage ends. Okay? Okay verse 37 Jesus told him go and do the same. And I think that's his call to us today, just to go and do the same, to show the compassion of Christ. Listen, I, I don't think I don't think we really need to complicate this, and so so I'm not going to spend very much time on on how to get overly applicable with it because Jesus's call to the lawyer didn't come with with a lot of strategy. Or, or a technique, uh, he just called him to go and do the same, the same as the one who showed mercy. Compassion is active, compassion is a verb, friends. Listen, that means that we need to meet those in need by sharing in their sufferings with joy. May the head and the heart of the gospel come to life through our hands. So here's, here's what I think we need to do we need to just act. When you see a need and you recognize a way that you can step into that need, try stepping into it. Listen, sacrifice your convenience and allow your plans to be interrupted. And if you're truly, if you really are at a loss today as to what the needs are around you, just pray and ask the Lord. He would love to show you what that is, but you need to be prepared to act when he does show you. Listen. That's actually, I think that's how I want to close today. So I, let me lead us just through a time of prayer, time of reflection. So if you would, you can just get yourself into a posture of prayer, whatever that looks like for you. for uh, For those of you who are believers uh, in the room, just just begin to ask the Lord what what are the needs around me. It, the thing is, you know who your neighbor is so so jesus corrected Jesus corrected uh, the lawyer's question when he came and asked, "Who is my neighbor you You actually know who your neighbor is. it is your neighbor um, it's also everybody else who is in need and and all of us are in need uh, our all of our needs are shown differently in different seasons so ask the lord would would you show us our need and there, I think there are some of you here today who just haven't received this compassion. So would you pray? Would you pray and, and receive Christ? Maybe you've been running away from him. Just tell him, Lord, I, I actually, I, I want you to save me. I am the man who is lying dead on the side of the road and I need you to come and, and pick me up and take me with you. lord Jesus we are we are so thankful today to be called sons and daughters of the most High God. We are thankful today to have been shown the compassion of christ Lord Jesus we don't want we don't want your gospel only to move our head and our hearts we want your gospel to move our heads, our hearts and our hands. Would you be glorified and would you stoke the flames of our affections for you as we act and we obey. Christ, we love you, we trust you, and we pray in your name, amen.